Hey everyone, welcome to the Necessary Bullshit Podcast. Yeah, welcome, welcome. So this is episode 53. We're super excited for this episode, you guys. Even so much that we felt the need to do a little bit of housekeeping before we kind of get into the main content of the episode. Yeah. And what we kind of want to say here is that we mentioned in our NBS News segment that the George Floyd murder has sparked something in America and we're seeing you know protests across the country and Ian and I felt like with an ongoing experimental conversation podcast this is something that we had to talk about am I right Ian yeah for sure yeah and you know so as as people should know in our last um, episode of NBS News that was the 6th of June uh, we mentioned that we would be having Orlando Hawkins back on the podcast because we felt that his voice was just so important during these weird times. And especially coming off the heels of our 50th episode on racial nihilism, we just thought that his perspective would be uh, um, particularly insightful. And we we just thought that with our small platform that we have here um, and, the, and the small amount of people that we can reach – um, it would it's sort of on us to help spread the the voice of, of black individuals in, in America. And uh, it was a really great conversation. Um, I think I learned something. I'm, and I know you you did, too, Josh. And, um, I think it, it's it's it's, it's you a, know, we both enjoyed we had it. a good time, because if you think about it, it's not only his perspective of what he's gone through as a black person in America, but also in you know his philosophical background. And his, you know, with his mastery and working on his PhD and just that combination of philosophy and what it means, you know, to deal with race. It was just, it was a very productive conversation and um, really glad that we had him on and we really hope that you guys enjoy this episode. Yeah, for sure. Um, so with that being said, we'll get on to the the, the main segment. Uh, Orlando will introduce himself uh, for our, all of our listeners and uh, we just hope that everybody enjoys it. So absolutely enjoy. All right, here we go. This is bullshit. America's leading industry is still the manufacture, distribution, packaging, and marketing of bullshit. Okay, everybody. So um, this is going to be a really fun conversation. We are here with Orlando. Orlando, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, welcome. Thank you. And it's actually nice to 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 be able to actually speak to you, you know. And it was fun editing your guys' interview for our, for our 50th episode, but you know, there's always you always want to itch to get into the conversation. So, it's fun to to finally have all three of us here and able to kind of bounce back off of each other. So. Yeah, exactly. Nice to finally meet you too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, so um uh yeah, I I'm, I'm I'm really looking forward to this conversation and I guess before we get started Orlando, why don't you give yourself a, I guess a quick introduction for our audience um if they're unfamiliar with uh, the last episode you were on and we can get started. Yeah, um I'll keep it brief, but uh my name's Orlando Hawkins. Um I'm a first year PhD student at the, in philosophy at the University of Oregon. Um I got my master's degree from the New School in New York City. Um, and I was also in philosophy and got my undergrad degree in philosophy too. Um, and at a private school in California, Southern California. So I guess, mm. yeah, uh, I would say my primary interest in, uh, philosophy is 
mainly in like philosophy of race, but I'm very interested in like existential philosophy, particularly Nietzsche, as you already know me. And so, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I guess that would be a good place to stop. Yeah, for sure. So I guess, um, you know, part of what's framing this conversation for me and, and, and probably for Josh too, is that, so if, in case our listeners have been listening, uh, been living under a rock, um, they shouldn't be by now, but there have been uh, quite a few um, protests or riots in the wake of the death, uh, murder really, of George Floyd, and obviously several other people, black people as well. And I just thought that this would be such an important conversation to have. And I'm wondering, Orlando, you know, what, one of the things that we a challenge that that was sort of came up to us when we were talking about recording this episode is that there are so many people whose voices aren't being heard right now. And one of the things that, you know, maybe a responsibility that we have as, as having this platform is to be able to give voice to some of those people. And I'm wondering, you know, this is sort of, this is sort of interesting to me, you know, the idea that having you on, it's almost in a way I, I, I feel like is the sort of confusing trap that we might be in. And I'm, and I'm curious why you think your, you know, what your experiences as, as a black man in America have like can do for people like us, like, you know, I guess, you know, to, to sum up a question, like obviously your, your perspective is important, but I'm wondering why you think in this kind of space it's it's especially important. Um, I think it's in, well. I should also say real quick too that um, I'm not sure where the conversation would be going, but I definitely want to say at the outset that I'm definitely going to be speaking for myself. And you know, obviously, yeah. like you mentioned, there's like a global protest going on, and obviously, I can't be at all of them. So um, any sort of claims I make will be definitely from afar. Um, and I will probably draw from my own experiences from protesting, but I just wanted to give that caveat to anyone that might listen that um, my opinions will definitely be of my own and I don't want to represent any group or um, organization in that way. But um, as for your question, um, it's a really good question to ask. And I would say these protests seem to have opened up a moment where everyone is having this conversation almost everywhere, even hear about people having it with their parents. Um, I have friends messaging me and calling me um, for uh, getting more information about uh, my own experiences and my own work in philosophy. So it's been kind of interesting because I feel that most of my life, and I think maybe most Black people would say this too, we do feel like our voices haven't really been listened to and it would seem to take some sort of monumental effort by a group like the Black Lives Matter or uh, the civil rights activists or even the abolitionists of the 19th century to, for people to listen to us. But it even seems when there does seem to be some sort of progress, people just go back and um, go back to their daily lives and not really kind of take in what we're saying. What is interesting, I think, about these protests now and the conversations that's probably been happening since George, uh, George Floyd's murder is that um, there's been at least for the past two weeks, I would say, I believe that's when they, how long they've been going on, 
um, it's kind of been the national conversation right now. Um, and it's definitely had led to some efforts. And I was mainly afraid of like just people seeing like another murder and then kind of just saying, oh, we need justice, but nothing really happens. And then we just wait for the next event as if it's like almost like a cycle. And so I think yeah. um, I'm hoping if anything, and then why I think this conversation would be important is I hope it would continue to build on whether it's um, from your listeners or even people outside of the three of us right now talking. So yeah, um, I would, I'm not sure if I quite answered your question, but <laughs> That's one way. Well, yeah, it's okay. I think that does, you know, and I, 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 I remember seeing this video and it was kind of funny because it was like, it was on Fox news and they were, there was this riot or this protest going on and, and they interviewed like this old white man and they were like, what do you think about these protests? And, you know, you could tell that the, the reporter was even shocked by his answer. Cause he looked at her and he said, this country was, f- was founded on stolen land. It was built on slavery, and those are two cardinal sins that we have ignored and not acknowledged and, and not tried to deal with the fact that the founding of this country in itself has negative roots, and we've not done anything to acknowledge that. We've just ignored it, and now with everything going on and, and, the, and being able to see the injustice that's happening, it's like we have been quarantined, we are upset, and change is happening, and and we are all fighting for that change, and you can see that, and this is exactly the product of, of what should have happened long ago, and I thought that was, it was just that answer was definitely what they didn't expect, and I was like, well done, that's, that's, that's pretty much sums that up. Yeah, exactly, and I feel like there is a little bit of a historical amnesia, because some people are like baffled, um, and I understand, I'm not going to judge people for not being awakened i guess you can if we're going to put it that way um you know people will come to this after their own time but um it is for me it's still like i'm just hoping to convert like the conversation opens up an opportunity for us to reckon with our past as a country because i really feel like we haven't adequately done that it almost seems um that we've kind of like felt like oh we got civil rights we got a first black president and you know we've made progress and it like during this whole time there were people have been telling you hey like there are still problems we need to address and it seems like those voices have kind of um not been heard and so i think what we're seeing now and i think you hit on it too josh with uh quarantine people being stuck at home and frustrated not knowing where they're going or not knowing when they're going to be able to go back out and stuff. Um, I think you're seeing a culmination of so many things happening at once. And I think that's kind of why it's taken the form it has. Yeah. And I like the point you bring up. Cause it's like, if I took my car, if my car broke down and I couldn't drive it and I took it to a mechanic shop mm-hmm. and two weeks go by a year goes by and I go, Hey, where's my car? I can't drive my car. He's like, yeah, but I got the new radiator in it. I mean, there's a radiator in it that needed <laughs> to be replaced. And you're like, yeah, but what about the rest rest of it? Why can I not drive it? Ah, you know, that's going to happen in time. You just got to, you know, like that's a, just saying that one aspect or one slight change might be, but it does not mean that we're, we're where we want to be. And you can't just, you know, progress is important, of course, but it's not the, def, def, the definitive to wait. Yeah. Just unacceptable. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So I, I was curious, maybe, you know, a, a, maybe a good place to start would be this conversation around privilege. So I think it's really fascinating, for one, how so many people seem to deny that privilege exists. You know, there, for a long time, I was mm-hmm. I was skeptical uh, of, of white privilege, largely because I didn't see it. it. It took a few instances to sort of realize, you know, where it came up, right? 
And I think maybe the reason behind that is, is something that Josh and I, you know, maybe wanted to bring up is why, for one, why privilege surrounding race is so hard to acknowledge. And two, why sometimes I think uh-huh. economic or class privilege is a little bit more tangible because, you know, a conversation that I've been having um, before with my, with my wife and with Josh is that, you know, you get some poor working class people in the middle of America. They could be white, black, Hispanic, whoever. Oftentimes, if they're poor and have a lot of economic um, disparities in their life, it's sort of hard to see how other realms of privilege might be affecting them, right? And so I'm curious, I, I guess, to get your thoughts here on, I guess, how, how do we make one side more visible and at the same time, do we discount like where class comes in? Yeah. So I think um, the way I understand like something like white privilege, and this is going to sound simplistic, but some in some of these cases, I really think they are. Um, I will probably get to this later, but it is even the same with like people saying defunding the police. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of people be given explanations that seem reasonable and simplistic, but it, but because you can kind of, obviously not saying defunding would be a simplistic thing. But that it's um, but like the explanations that were given, um, are pretty simple and reasonable. And so, in the case of like white privilege, like for me, I always simply understood it as your race is never, in in this case, your white race is never going to be a contributing factor for you to not get bank loans, to for you to like walk into like a store and not be followed. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's just simply like your race not being used against you. And so in regards to the economic aspect, I think um, that's a that's usually what people point to to show that there is in white privilege. Right. And what I can understand from black activists um, from that I know of, um, even from like philosophers and um, other political theorists, is there's always a lot of like there's we know about like white people struggling Mm -hmm. and I think what like these people in power really fear the most is some sort of interracial alliance. (laughs) And so they try to find ways a little bit to rupture that. We spoke a little bit about this when I mentioned Derek Bell, how racism could be used as a distraction. And so, um, yeah, in terms of like, like, like in terms of like economic um, issues, I think blacks and white people just putting it in this way have um, blacks have always been trying to help white people with that. It's always been some sort of intersectional approach. Yeah. And so we're not saying like, Oh, your white privilege is going to save you from being poor. We're saying that you're going to get probably job opportunities and that I wouldn't have, or you two would get job opportunities that I wouldn't get simply because my race would factor in. And I, and I think what's interesting about this too, I don't think some, I think, there, you will have some people that would say, hey, oh, look at a black person and be like, no, I'm not hiring them. But I think sometimes people really do this subconsciously and aren't aware that they're making decisions based on skin color and stuff. And there's actually science behind that, too. There's there's like there's science where if you show somebody who's who tends to have grown up in, a, in an environment where they've learned to hate in that way that your the 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 your brain the the amygdala the the neuro, the figure firing in your brain that detects kind of frustration or anger 
they see that that is triggering before your consciousness even is aware of the photo that you're looking at um, in certain of these people. So you yeah. are, I think you, I think you're completely right that there's a, there's a definitely a subconscious element to this. And, you know, I think for me too, where I kind of identified my privilege is, is, is my friend told me this and I thought it was brilliant where when you have economic, you know, disparities and you can understand privilege in a financial sense where you go, okay, well, I can't go to this Ivy League school because I can't afford it. Like there's a tangibility to that that has to do with something material. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to the, you know, the color of your skin, that is something that you were just born with and, and people are innately interpreting that data and, and throwing it back on you. And one of the things that I learned about my privilege is, you know, Ian and I talked about this in our NBS News segment where I saw the George Floyd video before I kind of knew what happened and then I researched it and seeing it, you know, just kind of made me realize that, yes, I've always acknowledged that racism has gone on, but I've been just kind of doing my own thing and not really, you know, separating it from it. And my friend said, like, the, the fact that you're able to just separate and pull yourself away from that is 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 your privilege. Yeah. You know, because if you have if if, if you have black skin and you're walking around that, you cannot just separate from that. You cannot just say that I'm not going to do this because everybody's going to judge you for that. But for me, I do have the ability to just say, no, I'm going to step away from this because it makes me uncomfortable. And that's part of my privilege to do so. Yeah, exactly. And for me, like, it's just simply saying, uh, yeah, it's really like the idea that your race just wouldn't factor into certain things mm -hmm. like white privilege to me, like doesn't deny that like white people struggle. Every, I mean, life is hard generally uh, for all of us. Mm -hmm. It's like, but you're, but like, for example, white privilege can get the president to tweet, for example, liberate Michigan, white privilege to, for uh, liberate Michigan for people to go against the stay at home orders. White privilege will give you, let pe a group of people carry guns to the Capitol building and scream in front of the police while, um, and while like people of color, like we'd be petrified. If, first off, I don't think we would ever get away with having guns in the Capitol building, but like we would also, I think you kind of see the responses a little bit with Trump, um, how he wants to, uh, he calls like the Black Lives Matter protesters thugs, right? Um, and like criminals and stuff versus these white protesters who are, they, you know, they're just fighting for American rights and values and freedoms essentially. And so for me, it's just like, yeah, that would be kind of like the difference. I would locate the difference between two. The interesting thing about this, though, is these people, because um, I know like Betsy DeVos, at least in the case of Michigan, was funding um, some of the protesters um, that for that are going to get to stay at home order and that's descended upon the Capitol. Um, but it's interesting because if you listen to the rhetoric before, they were even talking about sacrificing old people. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And they were, talking, they were talking about sacrificing old people generally. And so white people would have been swept up in this too. Mm -hmm. And so I think like when like we are like talking about like white privilege and stuff, like no person, I, no black person, I think in my, under, for at least that I know would be okay with even old white people working. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so it, the, the whole point would be trying to illuminate everyone saying, Hey, you, while you're, you do have privilege while there would not be certain impediments because of your like white skin and identity, um, if it comes to, down to it, they're willing to sacrifice you for money. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And this is why we need to be in it together, essentially. So I kind of wanted to address your economic stuff because for me, like the economic disparities that you're right, there are poor white working class people that are struggling. Um, and it's not to dismiss, dismiss that at all. We're actually, 
I would even say trying to extend an olive branch to those people and letting them know right. that we're all fighting this together. But that said, there are certain things that a white person can do and feel comfortable doing that I personally cannot, such as living in Oregon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that's part of the night. Na- that's part of the naivety though, you know, in itself where, you know, we, we're just, we're just, a, you know, there's this, this sense of you say, you know, because I think this is like a good transition to kind of, mm-hmm. Ian, if you're right with this, to kind of move forward to to talking about the differences between all lives matter and black I, lives I, matter. I, I, in I, the sense where people... Well, the one thing I wanted to bring up, um, I don't know if this is going to cut you off or not, but the, actually the video of George Floyd's death, um, do, do you want to say your piece or should I just bring this up now? Oh, no, no, you can bring that up. But yeah, sorry, I just wanted to make sure that you had a word in you. Know, right, cause... yeah, because Orlando, you were talking about, um, you know, the, the, the suffering of of black people and then how white privilege can you, you know, is able to separate that out. Uh, you know, and it's like, okay, well that doesn't really concern me right now. Or like, I can't stand to watch a video for whatever reasons, you know, and white people have the privilege of being able to do that. And I, I think this is an interesting point because, and if I, if I understand you correctly, you know, the video of George Floyd's murder, personally, I, I haven't seen it. I, I've seen screenshots of it and I've seen a detail. I've read detailed um, transcriptions of what happened. I mean, there's so many stories about what's going on and I'm wondering, this is interesting. I, I guess my thoughts on it were, you know, I don't really want to see somebody being murdered <laughs> and, you know, no matter who it is. And I think it's interesting that, you know, before, before George Floyd was murdered, I mean, there've been so many other black Americans killed in, in in America and it feels like there's still not really anything done about it. And I'm wondering maybe, maybe this is a nihilistic approach. And and in that case, I want to know how to get out of it, but it feels like I'm almost at a standstill here because like, is, is this what it takes now? Like to see the violent killing of another human being to motivate people because I don't know. I, I just see, like, even though I, I feel like the, the protests and the riots are all in reaction to this and we're trying to move forward now, but I'm curious your thoughts on, like, is it because that we're just in such a violent space, not just with the killing of of black people or any other, you know, group in America, or is but is it just that we are so prone to violence that now we need this as a shocker? to get us motivated and to get us moving. I just, I'm just curious because I have conflicting thoughts on it. Um, well, I don't, it's interesting because the one question I've always had through all this has been why this video popped off like a global movement, a global protest essentially. Mm-hmm. And I don't have a really good answer to that question other than like the protesters themselves um, and there's been a lot of interviews. So I'm not obviously encapsulating everybody that spoke about various different things. Sure. But um, in regards to your question, um, I think the most common thing I've heard is that they were attributing this to like basically when the first Africans were kidnapped and brought over to the Americas in 1619. Um, and um, so and they were talking about like uh, centuries of like systematic violence against black people, um, whether it's from the cops, um, the emergence of the Ku Klux Klan. Um, there's a group that also emerged with the Ku Klux Klan called the White League. They came out of 
Louisiana, um, all these domestic terrorist groups. Um, and so yeah. I would say like that definitely like contributes to it. And that's something I've heard consistently everywhere. Um, but what is interesting about this still is I think if you remember um, a day before the video came out um, and Ian, I don't blame you for not wanting to watch it. It's pretty gruesome. I don't know if you saw it, Josh. <laughs> uh to yeah to be fair yeah i i it stumbled i saw it and it, it stumbled across when i was kind of on social media and i just couldn't stop watching and and it, i just stood there in that moment after it had, and i had to like start looking into that and so yeah yeah i i, I saw it which will we'll, later on i'll kind of explain to you exactly kind of what it did for me as as a, as a white person seeing that and and just acknowledging what it meant for my privilege and and you know inspiring me to want to even have this conversation and and use this platform to go and so we're going to get down there but yes yeah. I, I have seen it cool yeah i would look forward to hearing it um but yeah if we remember the day before um i don't know if you heard saw that if any of you saw that amy cooper video of um i don't know uh, so what happened is uh, oh yeah yeah the one that sorry right. in central park the dog um but any oh yes okay yeah yeah yeah, yeah. okay yeah, yeah yeah and so um her uh and so that, that sparked off a lot of debate as to like, you know, um, violence or potential violence in this case, yeah. um, towards a black person. And there were some people that are trying to say like, Oh, well, we don't really know what was going on. First off, they're, deb they're debating if it was racist or not. Or, um, but more importantly, they were like trying to say, well, you can't tell if the police would have been violent in the 60 minute video. And then the George Floyd video happens. Um, and that, so I found it interesting that they happened a day apart but before that, you had um, Breonna Taylor, who was shot in her home eight times. Um, we don't have video for that. I don't think we do. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And then before that, I think three weeks before that, though this happened in February, but there's video, I think that was released three weeks before the George, George Floyd murder, was um, Ahmaud Aubrey, and he was chased by a father's son who shot him. Yeah. You can see him getting shot. Mm -hmm. right. And that, so I want to, so and I think um, in the case of Breonna Taylor, um and Armad Aubrey, there were already protests happening for them. And maybe for some this like George Floyd was a continuation of that. Um but yeah, like I would still say like I, I think in a three week period you had at least three high profile deaths of black people, two by the police, one by uh, I would argue two racist people in Georgia. And then you had a white lady in Central Park. And I think, yeah. Um, and I think obviously hovering in the background of all this would be the pandemic and frustrations. Mm -hmm. And I think that all comes together in some sense. Um, what I cannot answer, and I think this actually would be more of a question suitable for you and Josh, actually, is black people have been protesting this violence for a long time. And we're obviously we're not the only ones. We've had white allies. We've had other people from all different backgrounds joining too. So it wasn't just us by ourselves. But I've never seen anything as global and big as this. And part of it, I think, is because there are white people that are, um, yeah, it's like a wake-up call to them. And so for me, I right. can't really answer that aspect of it because I don't think that's a question for Black people because we've always been fighting. Mm -hmm. And so um, I'm not trying to turn it back on y'all or push it back on y'all, but that's the one mystery i have is we see video of eric garner getting choked five years ago and or i believe it was like five years ago definitely a few years ago 
and he couldn't breathe and it didn't kick off a global protest. It kicked off protests. So I feel like a lot of these people, yeah, and I'm not, this isn't about YouTube. I'm talking more generally. I think a lot of these people have known that there was violence already happening. Um, but like, I, I can't really answer why it's been global phenomenon now. The one answer I have gotten from a few people is the callousness of the police officer that was on Floyd's neck. Um, and he even put his hand in his pockets. And I think um, if I remember correctly, that he even had like a little bit of a smirk or something too. Um, but I would, I would recommend, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't recommend people going to watch it, but if they do watch it. I would definitely make, have people make this assessment for themselves. But um, I think a lot of people spoke to the callousness, callousness of the officer and didn't even seem resentful. And then the rest of the people just watching. Um, and I'm talking about the rest of the officers watching, not the people that were trying to stop it. So I don't know. I mean, that's a very long way of saying yeah. I don't know. But I think there's just a variety of factors going in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it's I think it's totally fair to to sort of throw it back on us a little bit and why you know, not just us, but why other white people right are having the responses that they that they are. And I think that personally, I mean, when I found out about everything and, and sort of seen these protests take hand, I mean, you know, we live in Oregon, right? And so people um are very vocal about their beliefs and there is a strong community i think of of people who want to go out and protest and and fight for the right things right so i mean personally i've seen lots of protesters here i personally haven't um taken part in them but i will say that because of this i think it's part of the reason i mean it is a big reason and why it inspired uh josh and i to have this conversation with you and try to do our part right in taking place in you know the national and global conversation in in, in trying to parse out like the inner workings of, of what's going on here, why these events that have taken place are as important as they have been. Because frankly, I mean, I, I feel that if we were to just not talk about it and be silence, uh, uh, be silent about it, then it would just be maybe more contributing to the problem, you know, because it, we're just like, Oh, it, it doesn't really have anything to do with us. We're just a couple of white pro uh, podcasters. <laughs> right. And, but really it's important for our platform uh, to have these conversations, you know, our whole pitch, you know, uh, for the podcast is, is these sort of, you know, experimental conversations that may sometimes be difficult. You know, Josh and I go back on each other all the time um, uh, because he hates me and, and uh, he's a socialist and, um, <laughs> but he, but you know, one of the things I think is we have this responsibility with sort of what I said at the top of the episode to have these conversations and, um, now I will say it's it's probably too bad that we haven't talked about this sooner, um, you know, especially us with the with the platform. But yeah, and one of the you know, and I've seen the video. So and again, I think Orlando, I really like your disclaimer. So I'm going to kind of use that same thing where you know these are just my personal you know opinions of how I reacted to this video, and and it may provide insight in a in a general sense. But again, I cannot speak for everybody who has seen it and what they've interpreted it, but. When I when I saw it, so I have a theater arts background and, you know, and there's something about storytelling and symbolism and in a way that that a a story is being told by middle, beginning and end. And the same stories we learn in theater that the same stories have been told for hundreds of years and they've all recycled. So all tropes of stories are the same. It's how they're told that's different and how they're told that 
that me is meaningful to us. And so all these other stories that I've heard, I've always been aware of, of other, you know, instances of black violence and of black people who've been wrongfully murdered or the police brutality attached to that. But everything has been connected to like, Oh, we thought he had a gun or, Oh, he was like, you know, negative demeanor. And with my white privilege, now that I'm understanding that I'm like, look, you know, if there, who cares if he was white, black, purple, Hispanic, if there was somebody coming at me aggressive, then okay, maybe that makes sense. So you find a weird way to, like be mad about it, but you justify just going on with your own life and seeing that video and, and watching him completely capacitated. You have, he was handcuffed. He was down. There was no struggle at all. And like you said, he, the knee on the neck, that visual, that, that symbol of, of the knee on somebody else's neck and the dominance of power and the hands in the pocket and the complete and utter, like, I know that I, I can do this. I know that I'm in a country where I can just put my knee on this man's neck and have no repercussions whatsoever. Yeah. That is what startled me. And seeing that really just for the first time kind of like really unveiled the fact that this is not anything that I've ever seen. This this is an abuse of power that is beyond anything that I've ever interpreted. And in that moment, I was like, this is bigger and, and, and more prevalent than I have let myself understand. And that's why I connected that back to my privilege. And so the first thing I did is, you know, my buddy said, you know, again, I hope this isn't, this is not virtue signaling here, but my buddy was like, I'm like, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to, you know, reach out like, you know, cause privilege can, as we talked uh-huh. about, privilege can also work in the negative way, which I figured we can, we can have a discussion there where white privilege, uh-huh. we could be trying to do the right thing and, and possibly make it worse. So I just was scared about what to do. And he said, put your money where your mouth is. So yeah. I just donated money to color of change, uh, to the charity color of change. And I thought like, if I, if I just donated funds and, and let the people that are trying to help, you know, just, just if I can at least affect one person and, and possibly grow change, then that was a start. And then of course, secondarily, you know, this podcast and, and trying to get you on and having this episode, but that those are kind of my just initial reactions when I saw the video. Yeah. And I would say like, honestly, what you two are doing, first off, it's the honesty that you're showing to about your previous ignorance, or I guess if you're so ignorant about some things. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, I would say, uh, yeah. So the honest, uh, the honesty that you're showing about that, is very much appreciated in the fact that you're even trying to have the conversation as a first step mm-hmm. and even having this platform where people can listen to it, I would say is actively participating as well in trying to bring about the change because um, this can reach more ears having this type of platform. But I would say what's also more appreciated from you two as well. And I think the most difficult part um, about, uh, I guess all of this really isn't people not even like believing like what's happening or rationalizing. Like, I think you mentioned this, Josh, like, Oh, he had a gun or did he still like from the liquor store or something? Mm -hmm. There's always trying to find a rationalization um, for why this happened. And while I, and I try to like be as honest when talking about like racism or ascribing it to someone or talking about something like systemic racism, I try to be as honest and say, like, you know, I'm not all-knowing. Black people are not all-knowing. There might be situations that appear to be racist and may not end up being that way. But, like, it's just the most difficult part, even before you get to all that, trying to even have the conversation, is getting people to even listen to you and even believe that, you like, these type of things are occurring. Yeah. And so the one question I always ask myself Throughout all this, um, especially given that the George Floyd murder kicked off global protests, is what would happen if this wasn't caught on tape? 
or on, on video, what if it was just like another story that people read in the New York Times or something? Um, you know, we already can tell one segment of the population would think it's fake news because they think New York Times and CNN and stuff <laughs> think it's fake news. But all right, yeah, and so like the like I always like I'm well, I'm happy about these global protests. I really am like always concerned. Like there's a there's some anxiety I have too because it's like. Man, what if someone didn't have the presence of mind to film this, we may not even be having this conversation. These protests may not be happening right now. The only protests we would be seeing are people that want to get a haircut. Sure. So sure. like, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So like for me, yeah. So I would say like, I, so all this to say is like, it's appreciated um, that you two are even taking a step and that the, your eyes have opened up a little bit because even getting to this point, believe it or not, even with cell phone video, is very even difficult <laughs> so you know that's a fascinating counterfactual too of like you know what would the world be like if that wasn't filmed you know i never really thought about that you know because it has been filmed and 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 you're absolutely right because me personally you know seeing that film was 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 pretty prevalent and and me understanding or trying to identify you know the privilege that i've kind of on a small scale like acknowledge that i had but didn't understand the extent of what it is mm-hmm yeah, exactly. And I mean, this points to larger structural points, problems or systemic problems. And that in itself is a big can of worms. And we can definitely talk about that, too, what that really means. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But um, yeah, it's just that um, there's this idea that like, and I've been having conversations with my friends, too, that kind of want to, I guess, make it seem their point is like, people don't have total knowledge of things. People could be mistaken. So when we talk about racism and I'm just like, well, sure. Like we could, but like to have that conversation, you should, you got to listen to people. And at least with telling you, Hey, this is a problem and there's a long history and here's where we're locating the problems. You might at least want to take that up before um, just pulling out the statistics. That's going to prove your point that, something like police violence or systemic racism is not a problem. And so I would say that's always been the challenging part is really just having a conversation with people. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> now it makes me think of when Ian and I covered uh, on a previous episode, we covered like ethics and conversation. And one of the most important things I pulled from that, and I still try to practice every day is he said, you have to actively try to replace judgment with curiosity. Yeah. You know, and, and I think like if we all kind of practice that, that would be, that'd be interesting. But I still think that this kind of like transition and Ian, if you're right, I kind of want to move into all lives matter and black lives matter. Yeah. So you kind of made the comment that I think it's, it's kind of interesting to say that, you know, it, you shouldn't have to, and you know, in a perfect world, you shouldn't have to clarify that when you say black lives matters or when you're, when you're protesting or trying to say for black rights, that you also have to make it known that like, you know, you're not, basically saying that that white people have struggles as well Mm -hmm. you know you're not like denying or trying to to erase the fact that like there are such thing as economic struggles that that technically don't even have to deal with race which is why some some white people can be affected by that Mm -hmm. but so what i'm kind of seeing is happening here is that there is this assumption of meaning or intent that is happening because i think it's like if you if you've lived this privileged life you know i think the best quote i said is that you know, when you live a life of privilege, uh, equality can feel like oppression. Yeah. You know, 
and I feel like that really kind of rang true where these people just don't, like you said, they, they're not, they're making the link that if I say black lives matters, then I'm essentially like deeming or, or demonizing everything else except that when that's not true, they're just assuming that that's what you mean. And one of the, one of the, so I want your kind of thoughts on, on what you think the difference really is between black lives matters and all lives matters you know, and kind of that 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 why people are are getting confused, and and why are they why are they coming back with like all lives matters? You know, because it just doesn't seem like it. The two are equal in tandem; they're not one replacing the other. Yeah, so I would say like, hmm, okay, so your last point, I would push back a little bit for in this sense. So I would say that like at the core of Black Lives Matter would be you know, the value of all lives, obviously the value of black lives. Mm -hmm. And um, the, like, and the logic is simple. If you want all lives to matter, then you can't live in a world where some lives don't matter, which is essentially like in this case, black lives. Um, but the only reason, so I would say in that sense, like the value, I, and I'm going to be careful my language here. So the value of all lives um, is, I think, what black lives matter would advocate for. And I think this would even include probably even not more environmental aspects and non-human lives as well. Um, Cause I think there's like a, definitely a, like an environmental aspect that can be integrated into this. Cause I don't know if you're too or familiar with like environmental racism, but that's something that I think would be a, tr uh, have a link with this, but anyhow, that said, so yeah, so I would make the distinction between like valuing or having a value towards all lives or for all lives versus like the hashtag all lives matter because the hashtag itself was deliberately created as a response to black lives matter. Mm. Um, mm -hmm. And I think part of it is for some people might really genuinely be an understanding. So they might see just black lives matter and they're thinking only, oh, this is identity politics and it's just um, going to be about black lives. And I think that's probably what they're probably thinking. But then once those people are educated and made aware that that's not what's happening, they should never be saying that again. Mm. So if you yes. have people persistently saying all lives matter, and there's been videos of people, uh, white people at pro, like I've seen white men mainly at protests going and screaming all lives matter and threatening um, protesters, um, that phenomenon shows an unwillingness to want to really understand what Black Lives Matter is. It's an unwillingness to value Black lives. And I think it's really more related to like white supremacy um, and wanting to keep valorize whiteness and keep white people at the top. Um, and so that's where I would split the difference. So I think valuing all lives is what Black Lives Matter seeks to do. But I think the hashtags or the slogans, Black Lives Matter and All Lives Matter, I don't think they're commensurable because of the continuous effort. Like, All Lives Matter should not really even be a thing right now, <laughs> considering... No, it's... Well, that's, <laughs> yeah. that's the point. Like, All Lives Matter, I guess if I'm interpreting what you're saying, All Lives Matter is just the default. Yeah. Like, if you believe in equality, that's the default. That we That's just a known that All Lives Matter. And the fact that blacks are or at least should be yeah yeah the, well yeah well like yeah that's deep but the fact that black people are being are being targeted and they're the they they have so many different things like you said they, they have restrictions because of just the the color of their skin that they are not 
Like, it's not all lives matter. Their lives are not mattering, you know? And you cannot have, like, oh, some people more equal than others. That doesn't even make fucking sense. Like, you cannot have that. And that's kind of how we're, like, like this liberal society we have, that's kind of what we're operating in. We're like, no, no, everybody's equal, but some are more equal than others. And you're just trying to acknowledge that, like, no, that's completely, that's completely fucked. And so, <laughs> yeah. like, I, 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 okay, so that makes sense. And that, that's understandable. And I think that's, that's a very good way to say that. Yeah, yeah that's the way I would split the difference is simply, yeah, all lives um yeah the hashtag or the slogan all lives matter to me would seem to be an element of white supremacy because now first off the the fact that it's existing and it's people are screaming this at protesters at black lives matters lets me know that their motives are more sinister and they don't really care about black lives matters mm -hmm. and so the fact that you have people doing that um and um and it's still like a hashtag going on kind of lets me know a little bit now again i will say I will be fair and say there are some people that just genuinely might misunderstand or be ignorant on what Black Lives Matter is. But still, like, once you understand what Black Lives Matter stand for, you should not be going around saying all lives matter still in the way that these other people are using it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, maybe maybe since we're on the subject, too, maybe we could talk about, um, you know, the the – the riots and, and the protests and how this idea of defunding the police is coming up about, because I, I find this really interesting. First of all, we, Josh and I just had a, an, our last main episode, we had a conversation on anarchism mm -hmm. and it's something that in this, in the conversation of defunding the police, I actually find really interesting because to me, what I, what I'm seeing here is, I mean, there's obviously an, a latent racism, right, that is within the system of police and, and their abuse of power um, over black people in America. Mm -hmm. But I also wonder, too, if the reason why they these police feel the police officers feel that they have the power to do this sort of thing is because of the the function of what the police is and and the role of the police in the state uh -huh. because i think um you know while it's it's sort of stating the obvious and, and some people feel touchy about it the the state does have a monopoly of violence and uh -huh. i think that with the police and with their relationship with black people in america to me because of because of that racism and because of their state power this might always be a problem insofar as that insofar as we have um, the police force that we do. And I'm curious on your thoughts on where, you know, where I guess we should go when it comes to talking about whether we should defund the police or maybe, maybe we, maybe there needs to be more funding going into the police as far as reeducation and training and trying to root out these systems of racism or if we should get rid of the police <laughs> altogether. <laughs> so I, I guess I'm just curious on your thoughts here, especially actually in wake of uh, the sort of movement on the, uh, the university campus at our university of Oregon to um, defund the police or dearm the police um, uh, that, roam the campus so i i know it's sort of sort of a multifaceted question but yeah. I, i'm just curious in, in the wake of yeah no but i have a way to are. split your question so i'll address the like riots and protests i guess um the way i want to from what i'm seeing um again i'm not at every protest um so i can't i want to give that caveat out obviously yeah but um the what what i'm seeing from afar is um a, a kind of a difference at least in the first week of these protests between like the police, I'm sorry, the media 
and like the people that were actually at the protest. So there was like live screen, um, live uh, streaming of, of these protests, um, particularly I think the first or second day of the Minnesota protest. And I was reading mm-hmm. the accounts while also um, listening to what these protesters were saying. And some of the, I, again, I don't, I, I'll admit that I haven't read more recent mainstream media and what they've said about the protests. Um, so yeah. this could obviously have changed and will probably have changed by the time this is probably published or this episode's published. But um, for the, so the protesters themselves have said that some of what people are calling riots were started by the police. Um, and um, I have friends that are in California that has been to protest and they said they were peaceful until the police showed up. I have been to protests in various protests when I lived in New York and some of them were fine um, and they were fine with no police presence. And then the police shows up and everyone's like, you know, me, like everyone's like upset and wondering why there's there. Um, conveniently though, there was a lot of um, police protests. Sorry. There was a lot of, I remember being at this, um, I don't know if you two remember like the Keystone pipeline. And it was taking, oh, like, yeah, an, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was taking indigenous land, and um, I remember being at a protest in New York about that. And there was literally two officers at this protest. I go to this one. Um, I think it was related to Black Lives Matter, as specifically about Black women victims. And they had the entire police force there, and we were just like in the street marching. And I've been to some Trump protests, mm-hmm. and they weren't. There was no police presence there. And so, it, it, like, I would say, like. A fully militarized police um, presence isn't really helpful, and it seems unnecessary, especially when people are not really doing anything but exercising their admit first amendment. So, a lot of the rioting and stuff I see, and definitely in the case of Minneapolis, was because of the um, I, I would I, I would attribute it to the police presence, and so if people are going to complain about rioting, I would say they need to start with the police. First off, because one, you wouldn't have these protests if there wasn't police uh, police murder. Yeah. And secondly, you wouldn't have these protests if police were not the ones starting the lootings or the ones that were throwing tear gas and running people over and pushing them. And I think I saw today there's an article. I didn't read all of it, but they even said there was about 600 different videos of police violence at protests. And that's a lot for two weeks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot. Okay, so that's what I would say about the – for me – and so like I – and this is the last thing I would say about like the writing and stuff. Um, people, and it's kind of my segue a little bit to the anarchism stuff because I like that topic too. But um, there's this like um, I think this one I can't pronounce his name. I won't even try. But this run Russian Russian. Uh, he was a part of the Russian nihilist movement. He was like the main person, um, and he he has this uh, I think this essay or this called the catechism of a revolutionary i really cannot say his name i I would butcher pronouncing it but catechism of a revolutionary i will check that out and he talks about like what the revolutionary person should be like and he has this idea of like he calls like the science of destruction and it's just about negation purely for the sake of negation yeah Mm. and I don't see these riots, even the burning of a police station was highly symbolic. I don't see them as doing it for the sake of doing it. 
And that's kind of where I was split the difference between the two. While there have been things destroyed, um, I think targeting like the Daughters of the Confederacy, the police stations, tearing down statues, they're very symbolic. And so they're not just doing it for the sake of doing it. And I think a lot of people are attributing like these riots to like anarchists or Antifa and um, not understanding there might be like a black radical tradition that's involved in this that would be okay with tearing down a statue of a confederate person mm-hmm. so that's my quick thoughts on that um <laughs> you mentioned uh you talked about like defunding and abolishing um i don't really i, I try to steer away from i guess providing what would be best and i think there are people that can probably talk about this a lot better than i can but what i will say is i think there is a difference between defunding and abolishing um i think abolition kind of speaks for itself it's kind of just wanting to do away with the police altogether perhaps and i would try i know like the minneapolis mayor recently was confronted with this question about abolishing police um and he said he wouldn't and i actually had a conversation with a friend about this and my friend was troubled by it and i said um, I didn't know this, and the people in Minneapolis would know this a lot better than I would. But there was, like, the like apparently this issue of police brutality is not new, obviously, with George Floyd in Minneapolis. I think Philando Castile uh, a few years ago was shot um, by shot four times by a cop. Um, I believe it was in Minneapolis. I can't think off the top of my head right now. But right. Um, and so what I told my friend is when it comes to something like defunding or abolition, I'm going to defer to the communities and the people of these communities, and they might be better equipped of knowing what's best for them. And so, um, and I think it's going to be different in different places. Personally, I don't think you're going to abolish police everywhere. Um, um, I, so like, I think it's going to look different in different places. And so, um, right. Yeah. So that's the, and so if they're talking about abolishing police in Minneapolis and that might be good because then there's going to be funds going to other places and I'm sure there's going to be some sort of oversight or committee or something that's going to be able to, um, uh, handle all this but or at least when if some sort of crime happens or something i'm sure there would be something in place to address that um defunding is different um defunding is really kind of what it sounds like too and i the way i've heard it is just reallocating resources um you have militarization here that's unnecessary um you have the police probably doing too many things that they really aren't equipped to really do yeah um you kind of, I think, touched on this a little bit, Ian. Like, some police officers might be going in thinking that they're doing a great job, but, uh, or they're going in to really bring about change, but they get sucked into the practices of the system. Um, how do you have to enact violence? How do you have to over-survey, um, provide hyper-surveillance to certain neighborhoods? And so um, I think... Uh, there might be people that go, that are going in with good intentions that might just get transformed by the system. I would like to also believe there are people that just are hiding behind a badge and hiding their bigotry behind a badge. Um, and so I think it's a very, it's a very complicated situation. 
and there's a lot of like human aspects that we should not forget about all this. And so I think um, when I hear defunding, it's going to be to various degrees. But the police makes 150, I think as of last year, they make $115 billion. I think, uh, I think LA County automatically like has like 1.5 billion for the police. They were the only ones that were not affected by coronavirus um, in terms of like their budgets and stuff. And if we were going to say there, there is like a connection between living in like, um, like uh, poor neighborhoods, um, you know, uh, you know, which eventually can lead to lack of like uh, funding for education through like property taxes and local taxes. Mm. And that can eventually lead to going to prison, which can lead to, um, you know, like making it hard for people to find jobs and stuff. And obviously it's not going to be seamless and connected in that way. Um, then I think by providing resources to education, the mental health and stuff, whatever the things that we call crime might decrease in a way. I mean, crime's already decreasing generally anyways, but some of these people really sure. probably just genuinely need help and an extra push. And um, I think in that sense, defunding or abolition could be a great way, but I don't think it would be full on anarchy. I don't think that whatever is chosen between defunding or abolition, I don't think it's going to be a quick fix. Um, my only concern with people, and I was talking to my, to this, to my partner earlier, my only concern with like people going straight for abolition is people that already want to keep the police might want to deliberately like, like, I guess, commit crimes and do things to make sure these things don't work. And I can, and so hmm. that would be my concern with just going straight for abolition. Not that I would be against it personally, but like, I think, um, like there will be people and bad actors out there that are going to do things just to sh say, Hey, see abolition or defunding doesn't work. So that was long, but I was trying to bring both, both of your questions <laughs> together. <laughs> No, for sure. Orlando, what do you think about what do you think about the concept of there's an idea been going around about making if you want to become a police officer, you'll need a four year degree, maybe in criminal justice or or other sorts of things of, of requiring a sense of, of higher education uh, to become a police officer. What are your thoughts on that? Um, I don't know. Has, do you know if that has been tried before? Um See, that's the thing. I'm not entirely sure. I know that, like I was saying, I know that the, from my base knowledge of a friend of mine who tried to go into the firefighting, if you would like to become a, a chief or, or higher up in, in, in firefighting, you do need a bachelor's degree yeah. in order to at least achieve that. But you can volunteer firefight. So I know that there's certain, there's certain higher up positions that may require degrees, but I don't think I've ever seen that tested or tried. Okay. Yeah. Me neither. So I guess my only hesitation would be. I, and I promise this won't be a long answer because <laughs> you... <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. Talk as long as you need to. Yeah. That's, yeah, um, no, yeah. This is, this is, that's the best part about podcasting. You can, you go as long as you want. Yeah, no, but you guys are not asking easy questions either, <laughs> 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 which I, it was okay for me. Um, I would say uh, one way, one reason why I'm opposed, not opposed, but hesitant is I feel that reform like rather through like implicit bias training or even retraining and 
Um, I feel that um, like that's been attempted and has not really kind of, I mean, you still, it's like, I'm sure maybe in some places it may have worked, but if there was real reform, there should be no reason why a guy is choked out because a police officer is on the back of his neck for like 10 minutes. Hmm. Um, now in terms of, yeah. and so that's the only, that's my only hesitant, uh, hesitance about all this is reform has been tried. And it, if there was serious reform and I understand these things take time, um, even with like body cams, like, like it, it should not still conclude to George Floyd being murdered or, Breonna Taylor getting shot. <laughs> um, and in terms of uh, this particular reform, I also, I guess, if I'm someone that tries to be, I try to, I kind of vacillate between pragmatic, I kind of vacillate between pragmatic and ideal. And so I ideally would, I think, um, I would kind of think like maybe defunding or abolition would be better. But if the police are going to be around um, and this is something that's not been tried before, perhaps, but still even having a bachelor's degree, I'm not sure if that will make someone not see a black person as a criminal or, mm. I mean, there are also racists that also have bachelor degrees. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's yeah. yeah and you know even now you can even you know that could that could probably take us down a whole nother argument of the validity of a validity of the degree and the and university training and and what that has, has come to to this current age so yeah i guess we can head down a rabbit hole there <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'm just not i mean obviously if it's not been tried i try not to you know like i might have my own assumptions about it but i can't really know if something's effective until it's attempted sure and that's kind of how i feel with like defunding and like abolition we have at least since the days of slave patrols um and we have never really and uh, yeah since the days of slave patrols and you know protecting business interests um in the north um we never really had this this country has never not had police really and so and we've never had radical measures as abolition and defunding. And I think we're in a moment right now that if we are ever going to get that and be able to try it out, this is the moment that needs to happen. But um, yeah, but we won't really know even if abolition or um, uh, abolition or defunding will work until we at least attempt it. And I, but I'm not fearful of like it being anarchy on the street. Because I think these people, if they genuinely care about their communities and they think cops are harmful, I can't imagine these people, though not perfect, and I can't imagine them not trying to find ways to police their own cities and communities. So right. I guess police it would be the wrong word, but at least provide some sort of resource put something in place so you're kind of hitting like an you're kind of hitting like a nail on the head because <laughs> even you know like ian and i did a, a you know economics episode where we kind of looked into certain aspects of that and you know just looking about you know the study of of the flow of things and how it's kind of benefit versus cost you know and 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 they learned that to incentivize uh, has been much more effective and in, in creating change than punishment is yeah you know, so and so like that's an interesting way where if we know from an economical standpoint that that incentive works much better than punishment, 
you know, then it does, you know, does pose to maybe look into other aspects like, you know, the police force or the, the criminal justice system and how we choose to, to, to punish, to have order instead of incentivize. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I would even argue like they're not even maintaining order anyways. Um, I think a friend of mine was like, what would happen? Like who would prevent crime? And I was like, well, this assumes that the police is preventing crime too. And I mean, we're talking about a police who actually committed a crime. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um actually there's something yeah sorry this is going back there's something i wanted to say real quick too about like black lives matter real quick um i think from i so i have friends that are like and um some that are protesting eugene in um uh that are uh talking about a split a li- like between like liberals and i guess people that'd be more radical and what is happening, and I'm not sure if this will be a split within Black Lives Matter itself, but you have like the slogan Black Lives Matter, which is supposed to encapsulate all black people, regardless of politics and background and stuff. Right. But then there seems to be disagreement on how to um, like go from there. Um, and so there are some people that want to have conversations about imperialism, about sexism, about um, like colonialism and capitalism and how this is connected with racism. And that seems, at least from what my like partner was telling me and from other people, that seems to um, kind of like be conflicting with people that just want to focus on the identity politics aspect. And so there are like some black people that um, don't, um, really don't want to like be have anything to do with any of the i guess you could, like the destruction and stuff that's been happening and um and they seem to have gotten like some segment of like white activists and stuff to agree with them so right. when someone does bring up like a more intersectional approach that includes like imperialism and capitalism and sexism for example that person gets shut down because there's like a black person that's like disagreeing with a white person that actually I would argue might have a good point by bringing an intersectional analysis. And so I would say like, there's some tension there between like focusing on like the value of black life and the identity aspect and like the, this more intersectional move to, and I'm not saying this is all within black lives matter itself, but it's interesting to see like this split happening um you're not innately wrong i have a i have a college friend who i'm friends on facebook with and uh you know she is uh she uh she's a transgender woman and she actually runs the the transgender district in san francisco Mm -hmm. um and so she also has brought up basically reiterating some of those points where it's just like you know trying to to identify that like no like you know black trans lives also matter yeah. You know, and there's the, and, and you know, that, you know, like you said, the intersectionality of combining those things and, and the struggle that she is seeing with, with only certain groups of, of trying to make those links. So like, you know, even from, from just what I've seen from her posts, like that's definitely something that's kind of on the table or has been talked about or, or seen on, on certain scales. But as you said too, we haven't been everywhere. Yeah, exactly. And um, yeah. And that's why I want to be careful in what I'm saying um, and just seeing mm-hmm. how I look at it. Cause I would say like black lives matter, like the movement and organization they seem to be more intersectional and it's almost like a global movement um, because they're tackling so many things and they want to put black women and trans and queer people at the forefront because historically 
um, violence towards black people have always been associated with black men. And they're usually the ones that spark the outrage and stuff. And so Black Lives Matter, yeah, is um, um, definitely important in trying to change in that narrative. But yeah, you still have this problem where people, I would argue, don't want to move from the identity aspect of it to have a critique about a larger system or or larger systematic critique, I guess, of um, like race, all of these problems and stuff. And so, and I also understand the people that maybe are sticking to, because I I feel like you do need, if you want to do, if you want to talk about like imperialism and capitalism and sexism and transphobia, um, like you would have to agree that black lives matter. That has to be fundamental. And so if you are saying, oh, well, I want to talk about these other isms, but I'm not really concerned about like the value of black lives and that's kind of, there's something wrong there. <laughs> so I, I feel like it might just depend on like what conversations people are having, which movement and what's going on. Um, cause I, cause I can understand the concern of not wanting to move away from valuing black life as a fundamental. I can also understand when you extend beyond the identity aspect. So that's something I forgot to mention earlier. Yeah. Well, that's, it's important to bring up and, you know, maybe too, we can, this might be, you know, a a good transition then to talk about maybe the, the role of white people in, in this whole aspect and maybe the role of individuals, because while I think that certainly the, you know, the black Lives matter movement in, in its inclusiveness is important. It motivates people. It organizes people, um, you know, in order to push for change. However, I'm curious on your thoughts on this, you know, especially going off of the heels of our, of our conversation on black nihilism, where sometimes it feels like that, people's voices get lost in, in people's individuals voices get lost in, in the crowd. Right. And I'm curious as an individual, what do you think people should do or what do you think white people should do? Because I, I find it really interesting that there, you know, there's this conversation of these opposing narratives where, you know, uh, on one hand, some people need to make room for black voices to speak up. Right. And therefore, you know, you sort of, sh- at least, take uh, a turn to be silent in order for black people's voices to be heard. But then you have the other hand where you should speak up and you should voice your support for these movements and for black people. And I'm curious in this sort of long winded way, what do you think individuals should do, especially white people? Because I, you know, I sort of feel that, while the limited voice that we have on our, on our small platform, we can certainly talk about, we can have you on, on the podcast. We can, we can talk about the issues at hand, but as an individual, you know, one of the ways I view supporting uh, the movement is like supporting black artists. For example, I really am a huge fan of uh, hip hop artists like Childish Gambino or Tyler, the creator. And I know they have a lot of um, important things to say on these matters and so what I find, you know, more, most comforting, I suppose, is to go out and pay these people, right? And like, you know, put the money, put my money where my mouth is, right? And so I guess in a long-winded way of saying that, um, what, what do you think are the role of individuals and white people in, in this whole, whole scheme of things? Um, I think, yeah, I think for individuals, it'll probably kind of be up to, like, them and, like, honestly, what's accessible, I had a friend of mine who's like barely, um, I guess she kind of had her political awakening about these matters recently. And um, she was asking me 
Um, she was asking me like, what can she do? Cause, uh, she's like, she just has surgery and stuff. So she can't like protest, um, especially with the risk of the like virus and stuff. Uh-huh. And so I told her like, you know, like just, you know, sharing things on your page, um, pro- uh, donating money to different like, you know, um, organizations or stuff like that. Um, you know, like, yeah, like you're saying, you're talking about like art and stuff, um, supporting more people of color, um, even giving me, for example, like a platform and a voice right now is like helpful. And I would say there's many things you can do as individuals mm-hmm. um, to uh, like help out in this way. Um, and obviously that doesn't mean you have to, I mean, no, I, this would be unfor- this would be unfair to ask anyone. So that, is, that doesn't mean you have to spend 24 hours of your day doing this but at least when it's like necessary um and you can can voice your support in many different ways so in that sense i would say as individuals like do what's like accessible um i would say like you kind of touched on this earlier definitely not having this conversation or just being like oh just seeing the george floyd video and then putting your phone away and going on xbox and never touching it again um you know those i would argue wouldn't be (laughs) Yeah. good ways but um in terms of like white people um i think for me what would help would just be kind of yeah like providing like vo- uh, space to listen um i would definitely say listen and stuff um and more importantly like just the you know we some of these, these conversations are very difficult to have um and so I, and I understand how it can be uncomfortable. Sometimes women, I'll hear like what men do to women and like how we make women feel sometimes with the way we act and the things we say. And I don't like, I get anxiety sure. and I don't like hearing it, but it's necessary for me to like hear that because I can't be a better person. Um, and I can't interact with other people if I don't like listen and try to better myself. And so I would just say that, um, like, just realize that if we are talking about something like white privilege, we are calling out racism. Sometimes the language might seem vulgar. Um, just know, like, we really, especially if we want racial equality, um, uh, black people or any person of color or any group, we can't do this by ourselves, especially if there's a system and a president currently and the military that are against us bringing about those change. And so we're not like some of these conversations might be uncomfortable and you might hear things that you don't like, but it's, we're not, I don't, unless you're like racist or like just a really bad person, we don't have anything against you. Cause we're like, we have one life to live and we're all in this together mm. in some ways. And we're just trying to find a way that we can all live amongst each other. Absolutely. That's the way I see it. And so I would just say, just don't get turned off from all these things, but yeah, there's going to be ways in which myself included that I'm going to be mistaken and attributing racist intent to something, or I might be wrong and saying this is an aspect of structural racism when it may, may not be, or I might not have the right words to describe how I feel, but like if we can hopefully have a genuine conversation and learn from each other, then I think that would be helpful for everyone. And I would say, yeah, so like the, the support that white people are showing right now 
I'm just hoping it's not just going to be for the, I guess they'd like to say this is a movement, not a moment. So I'm hoping it's not just a moment. I'm hoping that it can lead to something even better than what we have, at least. It's yeah. really well said. You know, it's, we're, we're individuals that live collectively. So there's going to have to be some give and take, yeah. there, you know, and that kind of thing. And I kind of, this kind of makes you kind of want to go down a social media route, Ian, if you don't mind me taking the conversation here. So the the kind of the thing that i've been kind of uh, so i don't know if you i listen to the daily by the new york times it's a it's a podcast i, I kind of enjoy and they kind of introduced a new segment called the rabbit hole so i'm not sure if you're familiar with that uh, no. that so essentially what they're doing is so i know that you know tristan harris who used to work at google he's a very av- he's an advocate for the algorithms and what's happening with social media and you kind of mentioned this earlier um, so I think it's kind of connected when, you know, during the pandemic, they were even like, oh, like, oh, you know, like old, old lives don't care. You know, like, oh, if some people are going to die, you know, where it's, it's all about money, you know, they're, they're, they're going to, you know, they're working to separate us. And because at the end of the day, these individuals are greedy and it doesn't matter who they screw over. It's for that dollar amount. And so this, this kind of concept of the rabbit hole is about this. It's this French man who worked for YouTube and he was the one of the people who created the algorithm for the recommended YouTube videos. Mm-hmm. And it follows this this young white man who basically just started to watch these YouTube videos. And before he knew it, he went down this rabbit hole of white conspiracy like videos and and started to became like this white supremacist radicalization just out of the videos that he was recommending what he was watching. And the Frenchman had uh, he basically had said that the algorithm that he had created was supposed to be to generate, you know, the first he said YouTube operated on the click structure where the more clicks, uh, the, the, that's what you would kind of be shown. And then they found out that clicks kind of didn't wasn't the right format. So then they switched it to view time where your recommended videos are based on how long you watch something for. And what he noticed is that if you watch a cat video his algorithm would do nothing but send you cat videos, cat videos, cat videos. So you start to create these echo chambers. And I'm just curious to think if, if do you see like social media and these echo chambers where if people are only getting what they like or what's recommended to them, there's no sense of, of understanding the other viewpoint. If you're just digesting what you want to believe in, that it's really hard for us to, to have a dialogue. Yeah. Yeah. I, I actually, what you're saying sounds familiar now. I didn't know the name. I didn't know it's called it like, or the term that used was the rabbit hole, but mm-hmm. I do know people. I, I have heard of online radicalization. Um, I think they even talked about like, even some of the, like these mass shootings by white supremacists from like 4chan and stuff like that. Um, or 8chan and stuff. And then they like to say like, yeah, and they like to fall on the free speech thing. I know. Okay. Yeah. I'm familiar with it. So, um okay okay yeah yeah i i think in some sense yeah you can kind of like be in an echo chamber and um kind of be closed off to other sources and um yeah so i can see how the algorithm can be problematic but then for me though i would have to question and again if it's high schoolers or young people, maybe I can be more forgiving. But, like, I kind of think um, if you're someone that's just listening to some radical content, white supremacist content that's saying black people are just naturally unintelligent um, and they have lower IQ than white people, for example, um, or they're predisposed for crime, like, and if you're someone that's old enough and mature enough and you're still watching that, I feel like that's on you. 
<laughs> not so much on like being radicalized online. Um, and so if there's something, so if they're saying things that are very sinister and stuff, it shouldn't inoffensive and racist really or sexist or whatever, or transphobic, like it should not, like at some point, I think you have the free will to not watch those channelings anymore. But if keep, but I, and I understand it's not always as blatant. I understand that people can hide behind language and be eloquent. But um, yeah, and to clarify, you know, and I'm not talking, and it's necessarily not meaning like those that have been pushed to, to to radicalization because of that. Just more of like, do you see that being, you know, part of the problem of of just on a on a generalization level of not being able for certain people to not be able to kind of really know what's going on or or, or to start this this compassionate and and generous understanding of of, of replacing curiosity with judgment. When like when you feel so uh, essentially what I'm getting to is, is I kind of feel like what social media is doing is it's validation is the new fact mm-hmm. where like if I'm validated by the group that I associate with, that means more to me and feels better to me than actually learning the truth or understanding what's really going on. Mm-hmm. And if we're starting to cultivate that culture of, of validation, having more value than fact or, or, you know, really understanding what's going on, then, then, you know, on any kind of level, there's just this nervousness. I just, I don't know if you kind of like think that that might be a potential roadblock to, to kind of like bridging this gap that we have is so not, you know, yeah, yeah, no, I understand what you're saying now. Yeah, no, I would say, um, yeah, cause you can like, kind of like you're saying, like pigeonhole yourself into certain groups, follow certain people only be, um, have access to a certain type of information always deem that the other side is wrong right i would say like um you know like yeah i would say that you should expand your horizons and not be surrounded by people are just going to say yes to you um and be challenged on your views i think um we live on a planet with like seven billion plus people we don't all think the same way and we're not going to get anywhere if we don't at least make attempts um and although, like, I, I, I find it social media interesting because I would be skeptical of the person that is getting, and then this is not what you're saying, but I'd be skeptical of someone that's, like, getting all their information from social media and these following. Um, I would definitely want, hope people branch out if someone, even for me, even speaking on this podcast, like, definitely research everything I'm talking about and look up. And so, uh, but yeah, you're right. There is, a, like, a an element of confirmation bias and you just need to have a thousand people like what you're saying, even if it's nonsense. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, mm-hmm. I would say like it, and that cuts both ways and not just mm-hmm. white supremacists. I think you can get any, almost anyone if you're within a certain um, ecosystem. Um, I think, Oh, you mean like the flat earthers? You're talking about the flat earthers. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you can talk about like, yeah. It, even like people that are like, even liberals, like, um, I, while I have different politics than people that are, are like more towards the center or right, I try to at least understand what they're thinking. I think the only people I would probably never talk to are like white supremacists and like really sure. bigoted people. But <laughs> right, yeah, but yeah, yeah, I would say like yeah, we can all fall into that trap of like really being comfortable in the spaces that we're in and not engaging with people that think differently. Yeah. Well, um, Orlando, I. I know we've been going on for a while. Um, gosh, it's probably been you know, almost an hour, 30 minutes. Um, I 
I don't have too many other things that I wanted to ask or talk to you about, but, um, and I don't, and Josh, maybe you, you do as well, but I guess, um, uh, as far as, as far as some final thoughts here, I'm, I'm curious, you know, maybe, you know, with, in the, in the wake of, again, of all these protests, you know, and, and the murder of George Floyd, you know, how the, I get, I suppose this is sort of the same question that maybe you won't have an answer for me as well that I asked you in our uh, racial nihilism episode. And where do we go from here? You know, because I think that having these conversations are, are so important and I'm wondering how, how do you think we should approach people who don't want to have these conversations? Um, I think honestly, um, so what I try to do, I was having actually this conversation with my friend earlier too. Um, <laughs> what I try to do is like, I just try to present people with information that I have. And I think it's going to go one or two ways. They're going to be genuinely curious and they're going to be open to wanting to have the conversation or they're going to be shut down. They're going to shut down and not want to have the conversation and um that to me usually is an indicator so all i try to do is just present present them with the information not saying my information is always right um but i feel that if i can have a conversation with someone um they're going to be the type of people that are open um i think someone that's like maybe not wanting to listen is just going to have to come at it maybe at a different time maybe they're not wanting to listen today maybe they'll be more open to it later maybe they never will i try not to um <clears throat> i yeah so i would say like in, yeah in terms of conversations i just try to be as charitable as i can at first but then if it leads to like name calling and stuff then i just kind of lose it after that but hmm. um in terms of like going from here um i guess for me would be kind of just having more people resisting and contributing to change in their own different ways doesn't always mean taking the streets if you don't if you can't um but uh i guess given where we're at right now i think what would say a lot is what's going to happen with these police reforms or i guess i don't want to call it but what's going to happen with the police that seems to be oh, sure yeah. um i know like uh there are some like governors and stuff um, I think the governor of California was like getting rid of like private prisons and immigration detention centers. So it's probably going to be based on like the cities, like mayors or governors and um, other officials. But uh, I think what type of changes are going to come with the police might set off what other type of things are going to happen. But we shouldn't mistake in that defunding or abolition or abolishing the police was going to solve like this, this, this um, systemic racism in this history of racism. I think um, we're going to have to be a little bit more patient and see just how the dominoes fall really, or if they fall at all. Cause I think you even have like um, senators that are coming out and um, I think Romney was protesting with people and kneeling, but what's going to really matter for me is not him out there. Cause that can always be for a opportunities. Even if he genuinely wanted to be out there, it's what type of policies is he going to support and back up. And so um, that's not much of an answer, but I would just say, yeah, I just go, I, I would write, I, I think what 
a big indicator would be what type of legislation gets passed regarding the police um and if these senators even on the right and the left are going to be open to it and even like local and state like officials as well so i would say uh yeah that that's where i would say is i guess it's not an answer for where we should go from here but Hmm. i think that would be indication of where we can go yeah that's a good answer yeah Josh, do you have um, anything else for Orlando? Uh, no, I, I just appreciate you being on. I think the only last kind of point that I would like to make, you know, before we kind of wrap up this conversation is, you know, as a white person myself and having this this understanding of what, or, you know, and, and again, it's not a full understanding. I'll no, We can't really understand everything fully. I'll just make it clear, just more to me personally of an understanding of what my privilege is. Mm-hmm. And just just, I would say to, you know, to other white people, that for me personally, it's like I had this stigma and I'll be honest that there's this idea of privilege that I was afraid I was I was going to be wrong or I, I was going to be as bad of me to acknowledge that I have it mm-hmm. or the extent of which I have it. And I'm learning that like that it wasn't wrong for me to kind of come to that place. It, it, it kind of helped me realize like the conversations that I need to start having and, and possibly where I personally might need to start going. So I just think that it's important for whoever's listening that, you know, don't feel demonized to acknowledge your privilege. I think it's important to do that. Yeah. 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 And we're, and I would say like, at least speaking for myself, but many black people too, um, even if you look at history, there's always been ways in which like black and white people were trying to help out each other. Um, I was definitely say like, yeah. And this is like, uh, I think this definitely has historical precedent to it. So, yeah, like I, I definitely in talking about like white privilege or getting people to look at their privilege. It's not to like really demonize or say you're bad. It's, you know, like the country was structured in a way and operated in a way um, to where a certain population of people were going to have access to certain things and mm-hmm. systematically make sure other people don't. And it's just acknowledging that, like, you know, acknowledging that and reckoning with that, um, you know, would make things a lot better for everyone, really. <laughs> or at least we would be a step towards that. So, yeah, thank you. Yeah. This was definitely fun and interesting. Yes, good question. So. Oh, good. Yeah. Um, well, before before we get out of here, we like to end our main episodes um, with a little bit more lighthearted uh, segment uh, that we call a read, watch, play. So it's it's basically we talk about what are we currently reading right now, what are we currently watching, and what are we playing as far as video games or anything like that. Just something to sort of, I guess, um, just having something a little bit more nice at the at the end of the episode, even during these uh, heavy topics. So, Orlando, what are you reading, watching, and playing right now? <laughs> Yeah. So, uh, yeah, uh, this is the, we could have had a podcast about all this, (laughs) but uh, yeah, I would say, um, I would say, so, oh, so reading currently working through my term paper. So unfortunately more philosophy stuff, but a book I want to read is actually, uh, this book by, uh, this, uh, I think he was like a political theorist named Cedric Robinson. And it's called uh, Black Marxism, The Making of a Black Radical Tradition. I spoke about him last time on the podcast. Um, and then, so I won't go into detail about that. But mm-hmm. w- watching, um, 
Hmm. For some reason, I've been watching Mind on Netflix. I've been watching Mindhunter again. Mm. Mindhunter, it's a great show. Yeah, I, I have like a fascination for like yeah, crime shows and stuff. Um. So, uh, that's I would say that's kind of kind of what I'm currently watching and then playing. Um, because of quarantine and stuff. Um, I've been going through the Assassin's Creed series. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, oh. it's very long. But I was like, nice. I'm in quarantine, so. Might as well play. Yeah. Yeah. Man, I'm kidding. Well, Josh, what are you reading, watching, and playing? Yeah. So, um, you know, for those of us in the in the podcast that are not uh, philosophically trained, I'm actually still reading, I'm reading a biography of Nietzsche. Uh, so I'm about 400 pages into that. So that's been very interesting and still got a couple more hundred pages to go. But uh, I'm back to work as of a couple weeks ago. So my reading time has slowed just a bit. Um, but I, I plan to go through that. And then I want to go on, uh, Ian for my birthday, got me, uh, meditations by Marcus Aurelius. So that's kind of what I want to tackle next. Um, so I'm excited to kind of move forward for that. Uh, what I'm watching is I, I will admit, I'm just a, I'm just a fan of garbage TV. So I, I really like the, you know, the CW drama shows. And so I guess I will say like a part of the Arrowverse, so like Supergirl and the flash and all those things are coming out. I'm a comic book fan. So, uh, you know, Superman fan to and through. So I've been staying up with my comic book shows. Um, and I will say far as let's see, Oh, what I'm playing is right now. I, I convinced one of my best friends from high school to get no man's sky, which is kind of a space survival exploration kind of game. So, uh, would kind of dip into that, but I will say, as I've mentioned in prior podcasts, I, uh, stranded deep is a, is a game that is a, is a Island. You, you, you're basically is a plane crash where you land in the Caribbean. And uh, you get to just basically be on an island by yourself and you build rafts and you have to survive and and you just kind of like mob between island and island. And there's just the simplicity to it and, and this 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 methodical nature to it that I find very enjoyable. So I've been dumping a lot of hours into that. So uh, that that's that's it for me. So no zombies on this island at all? Yeah, no zombies. Yeah, not <laughs> horror survival. That And that's the difficult thing for me, too. It's like I really enjoy survival, but I don't like horror. And apparently <laughs> horror and survival go very well together. So Yeah, I. Uh, yeah, what's funny? I'll I'll mention something like that too. Is um, first of all, I'm I'm reading Nietzsche's uh, Genealogy of Morals. I've I never read his first essay, and so I wanted to go back through and and read the whole book in its entirety. There's so many great and interesting things in there. Um, a lot of interesting things in there. Um, let's see. What am I watching right now? I started watching the show called Primal. It's on Adult Swim, and it's from the same uh, uh, animator and director of Samurai Jack, and it is just it's amazing. There's like 10 episodes of like this, um, like caveman who befriends a T-Rex. I mean, it's completely historically inaccurate, but, um, it's like crazy violent. It's so brutal. There's no dialogue in the whole entire show. It's just, it's, it's, they're just going on these adventures, uh, together. And it's, it's a trip and my son loves it And it's totally, uh, age. It's not appropriate for him. Um, uh, then I've been, uh, and then I've been playing the uh, Hunt Showdown on PS4. I've I've mentioned it on the podcast before to Josh, but it's this sort of um, first-person shooter battle royale, PvP PVE uh, sort of game, and it is just it has those survival horror elements with zombies and demons, and it's intense um, and and really takes a lot of time to get good at it. And I'm not good at it, but yeah. it's fun. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, I suppose, I suppose with that, uh, Orlando, I, I want to thank you again for coming on the podcast again. You are now our, you know, the guest who's been on here, uh, more times than anybody. 
And um, we really enjoyed having you on here. I'm sure maybe we'll find another time or topic to have you on again. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully um, this will help illuminate some people's minds and at least get them thinking about this and, you know, on the quest of learning more. Oh, that's, that's, that's what I would want out of it at best. Absolutely. And of course, if there's any sort of links or, or to anything of either foundations that you found to, to give donate to or any, any information, please send that to Ian. We'll make sure to put that in the show notes for our listeners to be able to have access to as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll think of, I'll try to think of some, but yeah, for sure. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. All right. Well, with that being said, thank you, Orlando. And I guess, yeah, I guess we're going to get out of here. Well, thanks so much guys. And uh, we'll see you next time. Yeah. Bye. Yeah. Bye-bye. Uh, everything that guy just says bullshit thank you